or you know, have a plural ending, but there's something odd about this one. There's something strange about it. And that's where we come to now, because when it talks about God creating um, all of these things, when it gets to the point where he's going to create man, he says, then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he made him. Male and female, he created them. So Elohim, which could just be a singular God, addresses himself as us. Let us make man in our image. And then what happens when he makes man? Is it just Adam? He makes them a plurality, a male and a female. So even here, if you don't know, if John hasn't unpacked it for us, you could read this in different ways. But what John's leading us to here is this is what the word has done. The word who was with God and who was God has created in his own image, male and female. He created them. And so John goes on to explain. He says, in him, that is in the word, was life. And life was the light of men. What, what, what he's saying here is, is this word in him was life, and even that he used to create humanity. So in Genesis 2-7, when Adam is created, we get a little bit more detail. We go back and tell the story again with a little more detail. Moses explains it to us like this. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. In him was the light of life, and he gives it to all men. So this is what the word has done. This is everything the word has done so far. So when we hear John explaining this, what he's doing is he's saying all throughout scripture, this is what the word is. This is who God actually is, is he is this duality, this, this plurality, these two people who are one, one God and yet two different people. Now we get the full doctrine of the Trinity. We'll understand the, the Holy Spirit elsewhere. It's not unpacked right here, but what we're seeing here is there's something unique about this, this word, something different about him. And so he goes on and he says that, that the light was the light of men. In him, in the word, was light, which was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. We had to get to Genesis chapter 3. We had to get to the point where man fell into sin. And so that's what where uh, John takes us here. The light shines in the darkness. The light is the light of men. There's darkness, an absence of light. There is death in the world. And this, this word that brings this light shines out in the darkness. In the midst of death, this word walks through it and shines. And then the, the, the last part says, the darkness does not overcome it. Now, John is the master of ambiguity. He's using words that can mean two different things at the same time, and both of them are true. And this is one of them. The word there for overcome can also be translated understand or comprehend. And so what he's saying is this darkness that's in the world, the, the light comes into it and is not defeated by the darkness, nor is he comprehend, nor is he understood by the darkness. The darkness didn't get it. And he's going to take us further and he's going to explain what that looks like. So he says that the darkness did not overcome him. Now in verse six, he suddenly changes subject. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. Why does he jump to John the Baptist? He's going to bring him up again at the end. Why that? Why now? Because part of that 
light shining in the darkness and the darkness not overcoming it has to do with John's ministry. So John was sent from God and he came and he was a witness to bear, or he was a witness to bear witness about the light. John's ministry was to tell us about the coming light because the darkness isn't going to comprehend it. And so God sends a messenger before him. So this word who in him is the, the light of life, he didn't just stay in heaven. He didn't just, just wait by. He, he's being announced as coming into the world. So what is that going to look like? That's amazing. He came as a witness. God sends him as a witness. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. There was some confusion. Was John the one? And so John the apostle is telling us, no, that's not the right one. Then in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So this word that was existed with God from the beginning, was with him, and was God, was also coming into the world. And that's what John's ministry was, is to say, he's coming, get ready, he's coming. So he come, he's going to come into the world. He says, again, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. So great, does that mean that the world is just going to rejoice, bubble over? Our creator has shown up. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. No, remember, the darkness didn't comprehend him. So he came into the world, yet the world did not know him. The world was bathed in darkness, filled with a misunderstanding of God, of, of a distortion of who God was, even elevating themselves or, or creeping things to be gods. When the word shows up, the darkness doesn't understand it. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There was a group of people that he had set aside, a people he had, he had specially invested in, his word, the, the explanation of what the word would do, of what God was up to. This, this group of people he sent prophets to, like John, to preach and to tell about who God was, to call them to repentance and to call them back. And so the word comes, and he comes to his own people, and his people receive him greatly. His people didn't recognize him. They didn't want him either. His own did not receive him. So does this mean the mission of the word has utterly failed? It's all over. It didn't work. The, the, the cure didn't take. No, John isn't going to let us go there either. He gives us the most important word in the Bible. One of, one of the most important words in the Bible, but. His own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the word didn't lose. He didn't, he didn't fail. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. But those who did receive him, he gave a great gift, the light of life. He gave them the right to be called children of God. His own may have rejected him, but those of his own who didn't, and those all throughout the entire world who didn't get to be called children of God. And how do they do that? They believe in his name. They trust him. They say, this is the one. This is what I've been waiting for. This is who we're waiting for. He gave them the right to become children of God. Who are these people? Well, he explains. They're not born of blood. Now, the word there, blood, is actually plural. It's bloods, not born of the bloods. And what I take that to mean is, is not the right descendancy, not the right ethnic group. It's not based on, on which ethnicity you are. It's not born of the blood. It's not born of, of that kind of a thing. Nor of the will of the flesh. 
So how do you how do you believe in this this word that's come? How do you become a child of God? Not because you're born of the right ethnicity, not because of some natural inclination into you that would draw you that way. It's not a will of the flesh, nor is it the will of man. That's kind of scary. You mean I don't get to make that decision? It's, it's not my will. Actually, that's great news because if you make that decision, you can unmake that decision. You could get that wrong. You could make a mistake. Wouldn't you rather rely on somebody else? I would. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. God does this. The word brings light into the world. And those who believe him are born of God. That's tremendous news. How did this happen, John? Tell me the story. We've, we've been hearing the Christmas story all week. Last, week. last night, we sang it quite a bit. John takes it in a very different way. Just as like Luke started with uh, the announcement of John's birth and of Jesus' birth, Matthew starts with Jesus' genealogy. Mark starts with Jesus' ministry. John has started far back in history before creation. And so now he gets to the incarnation in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. This word who was from before creation, this word who was with God, this word who was God, this word through who all everything was made, this word, he didn't just sit above the heavens, he became flesh. He added to himself humanity, and he came to us. It says that he, he came and he dwelt among us. That word dwelt is skine, which is the, the Greek word for tent. He tabernacled. He tented with us. He, he came as a human being, and he lived in the same kind of conditions we do. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now we know that relationship between the word and God. They're not the same. They're not identical things. There is a son and a father. And that's how a son and a father can be one God, is, is there's a relationship. There, there's purpose there. There's something going on. The only son of the father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> Actually, this, this last part, just those two little words, grace and truth, tie this into all of the theophanies that we've been talking about so far. One of them we talked about last week was Elijah. Remember Elijah on Mount Horeb? He, he goes and he hears God. There's an earthquake and a fire and wind. And he says, God's not in any of that. God speaks to him in a still small voice. And what I said was, there is somebody else who had a similar experience on that same mountain. And that was Moses in Exodus 33 and 34. God spoke to him. And when God spoke to him, God came and announced, Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God said, no one can see my glory and live. I will parade my glory in front of you, and then you can see the afterglow. And what God does to parade his glory before him is he announces his name, the Lord, the Lord. Um, I better quote it so I don't mess it up. <laughs> one second, I got to find my note. Um, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping love for thousands. This was that epiphany. This was that theophany, that appearance of God. And what John does here is he says, that was Jesus. And it's because of those two simple words, grace and truth. So the words in Exodus 34, uh, keeping, abounding in steadfast love, 
In Hebrew, that's chesed. And we have a hard time translating it exactly. It's steadfast love. It's covenant faithfulness. It's abiding love. Um, we could call it grace because isn't that what grace is? Grace is God's love affixed on us, not because we earned it, but because he's decided to connect it to us. And remember, we talked about Abraham and covenant. It's this covenant love, this, this love God says, I'm going to just give to you. It's grace. And then the Hebrew word for, um, for faithfulness is actually abed. And abed could be translated and is translated as truth. So one theologian said, both the name of the Lord and the glory of the Lord were expressions of his presence. God heard the prayer of Moses and proclaimed his name as Yahweh, full of hesed and emet, covenant love and faithfulness, grace and truth. John refers to Exodus 34 in John chapter 1. So this is how it all comes together, is Jesus coming into the world, Jesus taking on flesh, being full of grace and truth. He is all of those theophanies. That's why we're, Paul, I mean, John makes a, a slight aside. He says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this is of whom he have, this is him of whom I said, he comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. Now, if you're familiar with Luke, who got born first? John was born first and then Jesus. But John says, no, he, he ranks above me because he was before me. And what John has, John the Apostle has just told us is that's because Jesus existed before creation. So then he goes on, for from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now we have a name. The word, the light is named Jesus Christ. And he brings to us grace upon grace. He brings to us God's glory. He shows us all of this. And that's why the last verse is, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. No one has ever seen God the Father. All of those theophanies that we've seen, I've, I've had a couple of people ask me, so is that Jesus? Who is this theophany? What are we seeing? John explains it here. No one has seen God at, the, at any time. The role of the word, the, the job of the word, what the word came to do was to make the father known. So nobody has seen him. Every time we've seen God, we've seen the word. We've seen the son. We've seen Jesus Christ before he was born in a manger. No one has seen God. The only God who is at the father's side or the only begotten God, he has made him known. So what is Christmas then? What is the point of Christmas? Why does Jesus come? He comes to bring us grace. He comes to bring us truth and to show us God's glory. He comes to show us who God is because no one has ever seen God. So when you look at Jesus, when you see Jesus in the pages of the New Testament, you're seeing God. You're seeing what God is like, how God, when you ask, what would God do in this, in this situation? Just look at what, God, what Jesus does. Because right back to the very beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. They're one God in two persons, father and son. And that's what happens at Christmas is those, that eternally begotten son takes on flesh and he tabernacles with us. And this is really good news because what Moses was asking God for is he's, God had said, look, the people are too sinful. If I go with you, I'm going to destroy you. So I will send you into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses said, that's not good enough. If you don't go, don't send us. So God said he couldn't dwell with them. He couldn't be in their, in their tents with them 
because he would destroy them. And here we hear the word tabernacled with us. He tented with us. He entered our tents and he goes with us, full of grace and truth. And that's the Christmas message. That's what we see with that baby born in the manger, that infant that we sing about. He was the eternally begotten word. He is dwelling with us. He is God tabernacling with us. He's God in our tent, in our neighborhood, in our lives, bringing us the light of life, bringing us truth and grace. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten, the God at his, at his side, he has made him known. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we could talk forever about the mystery of the incarnation, how God could be one God and yet three persons, and one of those three persons, distinct yet not separate from the God, could come and take on flesh and become human and still be God at the same time. And, and Lord, it's a tremendous mystery. It's a beautiful mystery. And we thank you for showing us what it's like at Christmas to think of an infant in a manger being born. There were moments before this child didn't, wasn't born, wasn't, wasn't part of humanity, was still in his mother's womb, hadn't emerged into the world. And yet that same child in another aspect existed before anything was ever created, anything ever existed. And so, Lord, we're grateful for Jesus coming, the word coming in flesh to show us who God is. And, Lord, I pray that your church here at Trinity, throughout Lancaster, Palmdale, the Antelope Valley, Lord, your church around the world, especially at this Christmas season, would be blown away once again that God would come and dwell so intimately with us. Lord Jesus, be glorified. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, we're going to end our service with um, the song Joy to the World. And I don't know if you know this, but um, Joy to the World was not actually written as a Christmas song. Um, back in the 1600s, 1700s, normally in church services, you would just sing the Psalms. You had the Psalter.